Good morning, everyone. I, um, Adam didn't know about the conversation that I had back there uh, just briefly. And um, it seems that there was a uh, immoral failure uh, here in our church. And I was told that I needed to address it. Uh, the faster we, uh, we get there, the, the faster we can get to restoration. I, this is not uncomfortable. This is not what I wanted to do to start off uh, my talk. And I'm totally just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I was only kidding. Okay. I always wanted to do that. How'd that feel? No? All right. So my bad. <laughs> I wanted to share with you a story. And I'm going to share a lot of stories. I'm, I have a lot of stories. My wife can tell you that she probably hears a new one every week. Uh, I've been through a lot, and I've harvested these stories for many, many years. And uh, I want to tell you that, one, I'm a three-time convicted felon. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, no applause, nothing? No? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I suffered through a, a very powerful addiction to alcohol and to drugs, but really the alcohol was the one that nearly killed me. And uh, because of my addiction and because of, I was that Nessio friend. Those of you who know what that means, I was the Nessio one. Uh, I wound up in jail and on my way to prison. And I spent a little over a year uh, in jail waiting for my sentencing. And finally, on the day where I was to be sentenced, I remember walking into the courtroom and seeing my mom just crying into my dad's shoulder. And uh, I was really, really hoping uh, for the best, which would have been all right, you've done a year, time served, you can go home. That's what I was hoping for, but I did not get that. Uh, all that time I had been waiting for this sentence, and I did not want to go to prison. I, I've, I've gotten used to jail. Actually, I've gotten quite comfortable in jail, but I did not want to go to prison. I was very afraid. And when the sentence came down that I was to go to prison, I was very, very afraid. And... They kind of kept me there for a couple more weeks, and then finally uh, I caught chain, which is what they say is they're about to transfer you. So I wanted to paint this picture of what it's like because this memory is incredibly impacting, even to this day. And uh, just a, a brief time out, and there's going to be several of them because my mind works in really weird ways. I did not know how this had affected me as deeply as it did, but even to this day, and that's one of the things that I asked God to, to kind of free me from, I cannot ride on a bus successfully. I know that might sound funny, but I panic when I get on a bus. So back to the story. I remember that they, they took me out of the room. They told me where I was going. Well, not where, but they told me I was leaving for prison. And they made us wait several hours, and finally uh, they take us, and they shackle my ankles, and they shackled my wrists. And I remember as we walked up to the bus, uh, we get in there, they put this box. I don't even know, I don't even know why, but they put this box, and they run the chains through them, and then they pull them. And they make you kind of just scrunch, and you cannot move. And it's like that. And I remember being like that, you know, and you're right next to some other guy, and it's really uncomfortable, and it's really super scary. And I just remember the whole ride there. Every time they transferred me, it was the same thing. 
Just the whole ride there is just full of fear, nonstop fear. But the true delight, and I mean delight, was when we got there. When we got there, they walk us out of the bus, and they stand us up. The guard comes and does the chains, takes everything off, right? And then they tell you, strip. I'm like, well, we're outside. You know, I don't want to strip. And, and I, but they insist, actually, that you strip. So I had to take off my pants, take off everything. And there I was, you know, holding my kibbles and bits, uh, just right there waiting for the next command. And they leave you there for a very long time. And off to the side, I see a couple of other inmates that are passing out boxers. They're passing out these boxers one at a time. And they, they finally get to me, and, and I get these boxers, and it has a big old M on it. Now, at this time, I'm about 325 pounds. Uh, I wear about a 3X, so that M wasn't going to cut it. So, of course, I'm like, excuse me, sir. Hi. And I talk in dialect when I get nervous, and I'm like, excuse me, sir. Um, I need a 3X. And he goes, you get what you get. Sorry. And off he went. So everyone's putting on their boxers, and I'm like, oh, God. So I uh, squeeze all of this lusciousness (laughs) into these medium boxers. And right then and there, I kind of realized that uh, my situation was getting really, really uh, hairy. And uh, I thought to myself, I know there's a God. And I know that right now he's probably cracking up. (laughs) And speaking of cracking up, uh, that pretty much describes what was going on around back. (laughs) But... The intake process got even worse. I'll just fast forward to the part where after everything was said and done and they finally gave me clothes that fit, as I'm putting them on, I remember this, and I remember this very clearly. I thought to myself, how did I get here? How did I get here? This isn't what I want. This isn't what I planned for. This isn't what I hoped for. How? Did I get here? Does anyone know what that feels like? Have you ever thought? I mean, of course, not maybe not prison for you, but have you ever been in that moment where you're like, what just happened? Now, where I am today and where I was back then, that space, I've kind of named it. In fact, actually, it was my wife who named it when we talk about that experience and everything that I went through and everything that God's doing in my life now, she just said, Jesse, that was your detour. You finally got there. So I've named this talk The Detour, and I want to just say a very quick prayer. So if you would pray with me. Lord, I always wanted to say a really quick prayer before a message. Thanks for the opportunity. Amen. Now, we all know what a detour is, right? A detour is... You're going on the road you've always been. You're going down this road. You, you go through it every single day. Then all of a sudden, there's cones, and the, there's a sign, and there's this little guy with a, an orange vest with the flags. And he's, you know, he's probably you know, a short little Mexican with a mustache, but I'm not profiling. I'm just saying it, it happens. And they're telling you to go that way. Well, I don't want to go that way. I want to go that way. But they insist that you go that way. 
Usually it's because there's work being done on the road. But when life kind of throws you a detour, it's usually because there's work being done as well. Well, you ask, well, who's doing the work? And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know I'm going to say God, right? So let's just get that out of the way. I believe that God does a work in us. And it all starts when we least expect it because when life throws you a detour, it's not expected. You're not prepared. And it's never, ever convenient. So let's just start. In this season of resolution, we think about our detours. And we think, well, if God's doing this work, why? So I'm here to say my big idea today, Erica, is, I can't even read that. Our detours might be a part of God's timing. And God's timing is always right on time. So, there's a little participation. Our detours might be God's timing, and God's timing is always, say it with me, right on time. God's timing is always, and that sucks when you're in the middle of a storm. That does not feel good. So if God's timing is right on time, and it doesn't feel good, what do we do? As I was preparing this talk, I, uh, I thought, well... Detours can happen for two different reasons, right? One, we do it to ourselves like me. I did that to myself. Two, an outside circumstance. So I wanted to find a hero of the Bible that was like awesome, right? I wanted, so first I landed on Abraham. Maybe I'll talk about Abraham today. Now Abraham was, of course, the father of modern day you know, Israel, really of us, our faith, because we're here. And uh, you know, Abraham was promised by God, not through email, not through a prophet. He was promised by God as many descendants as the stars. And he promised him an heir. Now we know that, well, maybe we know, but he got a little impatient. And he went and he kind of uh, knocked up, you know, his wife's maid. And they had birthed a son who is now the modern-day father of Palestine. And Palestine and Israel have been killing each other ever since. But then I thought to myself, well, let's not talk about Abraham. Let's talk about Moses. I was raised on the Ten Commandments. So let's talk about Moses. Forty years royalty, right? Forty years he was living as a king. And then 40 years he was living as a shepherd. And then another 40 years leading God's people. He led them out of slavery. Well, why were they slaves? I'm so glad you asked. Joseph, I thought. I'll talk about Joseph. Joseph in all the, the many colored coats, I can talk about Joseph because, you know, we, we say that one a lot in church. Now, Joseph, of course, was kidnapped, you know, sold into slavery by his brothers because he was, you know, it's not no little narc, but his brothers sold him into slavery and he winds up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was this big old, big shot from Egypt. He winds up running in Potiphar's house, of course. Potiphar's wife sees Joseph, and she's just like, and I'm like, oh, but he denies that advance. She gets upset. She feels dissed, sends him into jail and prison. So he was there for no, no cause of his own. But what is the big idea? Sometimes our detours are God's timing, and God's timing is always right on time. 
this story, and I think you can find it in Genesis, right, 37, Erica? If y'all want to look up this story and read it, I think it's in Genesis 37 through 50. It's an awesome story. And what happens is, is that, you know, Joseph comes through, you know, his parents, you know, or his father comes, and all of a sudden he's second in command of Egypt. And next thing you know, he moves all of the nation, and they reproduce, and there's a bunch of them. So the Egyptians get upset, and that's, well, that's why they're slaves. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, we've done Joseph a lot. I want to talk about something that's very passionate to me. Now, last week, as I was back there and listening to Adam's talk on Christmas, he used all the verses that I wanted to use. So I was uh, like, I'm just going to summarize. The birth of Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Jesus was kind of like the bench warmer for a bit. And that's not a word we usually associate with Jesus. But I just remember thinking to myself a long time ago, I'm like, the angels kind of like thousands of angels circle and announce his birth. You know, and then uh, Adam talked about when he was presented in the temple. When he was presented in the temple, you know, a man, uh, I think it was Simon, you know, he, he asked and prayed, God, I want to see our salvation and when he held Jesus, he was like, finally, finally, I can, I can go. And then Anna, of course, the prophet, she was, she was hanging around, and she, she basically lived in the temple. And, and all of a sudden, you know, she sees him. The other day, I was with Christian, and we were at Walmart. And someone came up out of the clear blue, and I was holding my son, Rain, and, and, and this person goes, he's a leader. You know, he's going to be something special. And I remember just feeling this enormous sense of pride. I'm like, this person doesn't even know us. But can you imagine what Mary and Joseph felt as they hear what their son is going to do? I think Mary might have had an idea, but just, you know. Jesus grows up to be strong. And at 12 years old, they go for Passover, and they're on their way home, and they're like, they forgot Jesus. How do you forget Jesus? Well, I don't know. They forgot Jesus. They go back and they look for him. He was, he was lost three days, which is, you know, this guy in three. So they find him in the temple. And he's amazing. All the leaders, his answers are blowing them away. This kid's like a big deal. There's so much energy around this child. There's so much energy around this person it foretold for centuries. And then all of a sudden, we don't hear a peep. We don't hear anything about Jesus. It's totally quiet in all of the Gospels. Nothing. What happened? Where did he go? Well, we know he was a carpenter. But why is there no record of Jesus between 12 and 30? That's 18 years. That's quite a detour. Can you imagine waiting? See, we have to set context to what's going on in Israel at this time. They're enslaved, really. They're, they're oppressed. The Romans have them, and they're brutally murdering. The men, they're brutally crucifying them. They got really good at torturing them. The women praying to God, save us, send us the one. 
the one was there the whole time watching this. I mean, when I see a bully picking on someone, you know, like, you know, I'm like, stop that, right? I like, like, stop that, Adam. You leave Al alone. I'm like, but can you imagine being the salvation? He was there for that reason, and he did nothing. And, you know, Jesus teaches us how to live. He teaches us how to love. He teaches us pretty much everything. And in this moment, he teaches us how to wait. He teaches us to be patient for God's timing. And that is incredibly hard to do. When Jesus went to go get baptized by John the Baptist, they dunk him, right? Just like us, when we get the water, they, he gets dunked. And he comes up in this voice from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. If I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, oh, it's go time. I mean, this is an audible voice from God coming down from heaven. Okay, finally. But what does Jesus do at that moment? Does he put on his armor and, you know, yank a sword out of a stone? No. He does something incredibly interesting. He goes off for 40 days, 40 nights of fasting and praying. He wants to make sure that he's on the same page with his father. And when we are in the middle of a storm, when we are in the middle of our detour, a detour that we don't want, maybe a detour that we've caused or a detour that's been caused on us. I think Jesus teaches us what we need to be doing. We need to chill out for a second. We need to pray. Of course, we know that what happened in that moment when he was there fasting, he was tempted. And one of the, one of the temptations of Christ was the devil tempted him to change the stones into bread. The devil was tempting him to flex his own might and his own power. But Jesus had just spent 18, months, or 18 years not doing that, so he wasn't going to fall for it. But when we are in our detours, at least me, when I'm in my detour, I have to fight the urge to take control. I have to fight the urge to do something about it. Now, God wants us to do something, but it has to be guided. It has to be his timing. Because God's timing is always right on time. So we pray and we ask God to give us a word. We ask God to, to tell us what to do. And that's pretty hard too because our minds, at least my mind, it's all nuts and crazy. How do I know it's from God? Well, Pastor Doug gave me this little test. Um, the first test, Miss Erica, is that word consistent with God's character and the Bible? Is God really speaking to me? God wants me to divorce my wife and move in with this other woman. Is that really God? Is that really God? We have to test it using the word of God. Now, I know that using the Bible for some of us is a little bit scary, but I wanted to share with you a little tool. 
I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Google. And, uh, okay, Google, what does the Bible say about divorce? Ah, mira. Here's some information for what does the Bible say about divorce? According to family life. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. You see, the Bible's always been really intimidating to me. It's always been one of those things where I try to read it and I don't know exactly how to do it. But I just keep reading it anyway. Sometimes it's just a couple of verses a day. Sometimes it's a little bit more. But, you know, one of the things that we always get encouraged is to read our Bible. And when you don't know exactly how to do that, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. But I keep reading it anyway. And I keep reading it. And when I have questions, I ask Google. And Google will give me all sorts of cool things that we can, like, look up and we can read about. And there's so many different ideas. And there's so many different things that kind of go against each other. And it's always a little bit kind of fun just seeing what the Bible says through Google. And I tell you that if you're new and you don't know how to read the Bible, I don't blame you. I, it, it's kind of trippy. And there's so many different versions. There's the message and there's the New Living Translation, the NIV. How do you read the Bible? Well, if you have a question, ask Google. Google will lead you there. But the second test is one of my favorites. Is it wise, one? And do spiritually wise counselors, what do they say? I happen to have my wise counsel here, Mr. H. Mr. H kind of uh, reached out to me when I was in prison, and we became fast friends. But I also talked to my wife. I talk to the people that I know I can trust. Now, if the people that you ask are kind of telling you that, you know, what you want to hear, that's probably not the person that you want to talk to, right? But we test it. We test the word that we get. We test the word that we get, and then we got to follow it. And that's always kind of scary as well. I remember two different instances, really. Well, I'll share the first one. Uh, a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Scott, and a couple other guys, they came together, and uh, they pooled some money, and they wanted me to record a CD. They wanted me to record one song in particular. It was All the Way. And I remember that, uh, that I was, one, grateful and excited. I felt that there was energy behind it. I felt that God was in this plan. But I waited, and I waited, and I was kind of like looking for the right Thing, looking for the right person, looking for the right opportunity, and it wasn't coming. So I kind of took matters into my own hands, and I began kind of just like looking, and, and then I kind of landed that I was going to you know, fly to Nashville and meet two different record producers, and both of them might wind up being wrong, but I, I tried, and I moved, but I forgot to check with God. At the time, I told myself, of course, God wants me to do this. You know, he made this happen. But I remember when everything was said and done, we recorded a, a live version of the music. It wasn't what I had planned. I'm very, very happy, and I'm very, very proud of it. And those songs mean the world to me. And they're available outside for a small donation. <laughs> but I remember that I kind of had this feeling. I'm kind of moving out of God's kind of God's will, God's timing. I've been here for over a year. A lot of things have happened here at Rock Hills. A lot of things that I've seen and I've felt and I've experienced. 
and we start this new year off fresh. We start this new year off installing a new past. Are we moving in God's timing? I believe we are. So I'm excited about what Rock Hills bring in the coming months and years as we journey together. There's a second example that I wanted to share. And this one's very personal. A few years ago, my wife and I went through a really, really hard season. And there was a lot of confusion. And there was a lot of hurt. And there was a moment where we were not together. We were separated. And every single day, I cried for my wife, for my children. And I really cried out to God. What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? I felt like I was stuck. And I sat on my mother's front porch every night with my Bible app, just reading. I would just read. And every night, sometimes very peacefully, I would be like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And then other times I'd be like, God, what am I supposed to do? I thought I was your boy. I mean, you saved me, right? You saved me for something. Why is this happening? All of my junk, all of my wounds were all coming at me. And they were hurting me. And they were hurting my wife. And I was confused and I didn't know what to do. So I just did nothing. And I sat there on that front porch night after night, waiting, patiently waiting. I didn't, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't want to do something wrong. I was afraid. I was paralyzed. I was like, I'm not going to step out. I am not going to do something that is not your will. And it was hurting my children. It was hurting my little daughter. daughter and Ezra. Ezra was little. He doesn't really remember. Jacinia hasn't mentioned it in a long time, but now I reminded her, so she's right there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> what do I do? And I remember one day reading my app. I was reading, oh, I don't even remember what I was reading, honestly. But in my head, all of a sudden, the story came. It was a story that I love, the story of David, very specifically. So I turned to that. It was Samuel 2, probably. And then all of a sudden, I felt it. It was time to go home. What if she doesn't want me anymore? What if I've damaged too much? What if my absence has made things impossible? But I asked God and he answered. 
She let me back in the house, by the way. I don't know. But I remember that we had to work at it. And she's really cool. And she's very strong. <laughs> she's so strong. She's very strong. Not just physically. <laughs> Not just physically strong. She's very strong-willed. But God taught us something there. And in a few months later, Rainan, my son Rainan, which means restore, renew. That little dude. Go ahead, Erica, show him. I'm so proud. Look at this boy. God puts promises in our heart. God puts promises if we only hear them and we believe in those promises. Well, how do we know what God has promised? Well, I choose to read the Bible. I, I choose to read it. And I believe what it says. God has done so many things in my life. He delivered me from a powerful addiction. I mean, overnight delivery. I had tried everything. But he delivered me. And just a little time out. In July, after being told that the arthritis that was ravaging my body was only going to get worse and I had to do something. And they told me what to do. It was eating a certain way. And I was like, no. <laughs> I didn't want to. One morning I woke up. It was a Monday morning right before our meeting. One morning I woke up and I felt God saying, go ahead and start now. I waited a bit. I wanted to test it, right? No. I knew that God was with me and God is with us. If you don't know, if you believe this, like Jesse, I don't even know if I believe in this. I don't even know if I want to believe. This is a safe place for you. You can come hang out and you can listen to speakers that are far better than I am. Communicate. But God's word is true. God's word. God's promises are very, very real. And if we let them, they will change your story. They will change your life. Heavenly Father, you know, for being my first time up here, it was all right. But I've seen what you've done. I've seen what you've done in my life. And I see what you've done in my marriage. And I see what you're doing all around me. I cannot deny your existence. And I cannot run away from your love. Thank you for this opportunity to share just a little bit of what you've done in my life. I love you very much. And I pray for all those that hear your word and read your word, that they would know you the way I know you, that they would feel you the way I feel you. And that we would be blessed and that we would be one with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.